break my heart, Pinko Eye Queen. And welcome to American Soccer Analysis. Uh, I have a, I, ho I hope you guys all enjoyed that opening. Um, that was my son uh, trying to say Federico Iguain as, as well as I do. Um, Sean, you didn't get to hear it because I didn't open it or play it for you because we were very uh, involved in our in our discussions beforehand. But uh, end of MLS season, uh, the hot stove already hot, um, body not even cold on this past season. Uh, first of all, before we kind of jet into it, how, how are you? You doing all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing great. I mean, we talk almost every day, so this is in, you know, a genuine question. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> it kinda, it, it's just kind of getting it out of the way. Uh, you okay? All right, yeah. The MLS championship game played yesterday. Did we actually, as a whole, did we enjoy this game? <laughs> I mean, it was interesting. I mean, it's funny that there were three, I think, it's fair to say that all three goals in this game shouldn't have happened. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that a game with three goals should have ended 0-0. Zero, zero. Well, I mean, you can 0-0. Zero, zero. But, I mean, I, I, it's very interesting. Now, I well, think and you Porto, could argue that two goals that didn't happen probably should have in penalties, right? Yeah. I mean, are you referring to the Parker's handball as, as one of them? which which parkhurst handball there was like it's like he batted at it twice i don't think he batted at it i think no it, it, that, that's a poor not, that, that's a very unprofessional terminology that, that that's not the accurate portrayal of what happened but it just it just kind of seemed <laughs> like he kind of he obviously was trying to avoid it i think on the, the first occasion and the it second it was occasion. very bang bang in uh you have to at full speed um it kind of reminds me of um, he did he, he got a red card early in the year for a handball on the line, and uh, that one I didn't think was a red card either because he he had his hands at his side and he was it he was kind of chesting it and it kind of hit like sort of part of the hand. It was kind of similar because his hands weren't really in unnatural positions. I don't I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like the handball rule is clearly written. Because it's not so uh, right. Just because it's a handball, just because it hits their arm or their hand, doesn't necessarily, as most people think, is does not actually you know count as a handball, right? Well, so yeah. Here's the the t all the law says is that it's intentional, which is so vague it's meaningless. Because someone's very uh, I forget who it was very acutely pointed out if that most handballs that are called are not intentional, right? So if you follow it by the law, then there would be no handballs. Because very rarely does a player just reach out and like, I want that ball. Or, you know, bats the ball down. It just doesn't really happen that much. So all of, all this hand-to-ball stuff that you hear, that comes from various federations and stuff telling the referees, giving out mandates, this is how we want you to interpret it. Which is good. So it is, but at the same time, when people talk about – People talk about it as if there's a clear, cut-and-dry rule set, and at the same time, there kind of isn't. It very much is up to the discretion of the referee, and 
that's the that's true with most laws in the game or a lot of laws in the game and you know it makes it frustrating at times but you know it's uh that's it's soccer you know well, well we'll get to the referees here in one moment but let's first let's we talk we'll, we'll talk a little bit about diego valeri uh v uh, steve clark and now i think both of us kind of see this from two different perspectives right um and I don't want to speak for you, but for me, it just looked like Steve Clark mishandled. I don't think that he directly meant to give himself that much time. I, I really don't think that he was trying to be lazy at the same time, uh, as, as much as it, it really feels like there's a there's a lot of people coming down on him. Um, but as you keenly pointed out, I, I very much think that Portland developed this and thought about this beforehand and and went into this with the intention of going we're gonna we're gonna just completely press the back line for the first few minutes and you know we're we're hoping that you know the idea of doing that is hoping that a turnover happens and that you can capitalize on it and absolutely it happened steve clark mishandles the ball there at uh the back line diego valeri slides in deflects that ball into uh clark's own net and the Timbers are up one nothing. Uh, how do you think? How did you f- think when you first kind of saw that? As you saw the situation, the play unfold. What was your immediate reaction? It, it was so quick. I was actually looking down at the time. But upon subsequent replays, the, uh, and uh, yeah, it just looked like he 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 touched the ball, you know, with the foot, and it was just a little too far than he was expecting. I don't think he was expecting Valeri to uh, bear down like he does, especially since it's Valeri. But at the same time, uh, I think it was Taylor Twelman in the broadcast said that that was something that they noted to him at practice, that they noted that Clark kind of spends a little too much time on the ball, I believe was the wording. So it that made it, I mean, the implication there was that this was something that they were looking to do, maybe not to get a goal from it, necessarily but to cause some havoc he maybe cause some turnovers uh but yeah in terms of game states and whatnot it's a dream start and uh it it kind of makes the i mean i don't know I'll ask you what do you think about when you get these fast goals because to me it's almost like you have all this build up for this even game this great game and then it almost all goes out the window because it's a completely different game well within 30 I mean, some seconds it's funny because I really feel like the Timbers basically Red Bulled the, the Columbus crew. Like if you drew it up and how the Red Bull really wanted to play the Columbus crew is how the Timbers ended up playing them. I mean, that, that's kind of how I felt. Like if that, that was kind of the situation, I felt like they, that high press just worked out really well. And then after they, they went up in the game state, they were able to be very strong with their formations they they didn't get called out they didn't get uh caught up soaking up space and because of that um finley was really not effective uh Iguain's touch was very much off miram just ran into a barrage of people and you know no one could get kamaro the ball um kamaro had 35 touches in the game so i mean Ultimately, I think that it was brilliant. I think that the idea from Caleb Porter to, to say, hey, this is how we're going to approach the game is not all just ballsy um, in the sense that it could really buy, backfire if Columbus says, hey, let's go ahead and let's press these guys just like we did, you know, the Red Bulls jump out in the lead um, because, you know, there's obviously some space that was 
that was uh, in and behind the defense, especially with Nagby pushed up and with Valeri pushed up. But, you know, it worked out, and you take a quick lead, and, I mean, what is it? You you look like a, a – I don't, I don't remember the, what the saying is, but it's something to the effect of you look really smart when things work out. You look really dumb when it doesn't. And in this case, occasion, you know, Caleb Porter just looks really smart. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it was interesting what happened after that first goal because Columbus really uh, bore down on them after that. Like, well, I, I see. Really bore down on them. Yeah, see, I felt like they were still sh- really shaken. I mean, you saw Greg Berhalter there on the sidelines just kind of like doing the hand motions to settle down. And you could even like verbal, you could like read his lips, you know, how he would say, slow it down, slow it down. And, and you know, take a breather, you know, these type of key things that we say to uh, to a lot of young players or what we, you know, are heard said to, you know, players that are in these huge situations that they just need to slow down, take a moment. And, you know, Tony Chani uh, gets caught up with the ball rolling out of bounds, uh, literally not called. And it's funny, nine times out of 10, it seems to me like the ball gets picked up there. Like, not just like, gets dribbled like Chani created that situation kind of on his own in the sense that he kind of just really played around with it it's not like you you probably see five or six different guys that would just pick the ball and walk out of bounds with it if they thought if they if it when it was that clear cut right and Chani instead just kind of played with it it there needed to be a decisive action you had to force that referee into making a call um and if he wasn't going to, if he was going to call you a foul for, for, you know, whatever you do right then in that moment, that's, that's fine. You, you take it, you get back on defense, but instead it became this whole situation where things were in a constant flux and players get caught out of position. Harrison awful just, well, I mean, he really, he, I don't know what he was doing. Rodney Wallace just completely manhandled him. He didn't have position or anything and he got, in that spot that he was needed to head that ball it was a brilliant, uh, brilliant header uh, from him. I really didn't think that Milano gave a very good cross. I kind of thought it was just a general, I'm going to put this in the middle of the box and hopefully somebody gets to it. And Wallace did. Uh, but uh, Chani's, I mean, Chani's really got to do, got to do something. He's really got to make a statement there. And, and it's, it's kind of sad that that's, that's what we're we're stuck with is is you know either going and railing on him for not being mature enough or railing on a referee for not making the right call. It, it it's kind of a disappointment. Um, what did you think about the situation? Do you have any any thoughts on it? Well, uh, I actually um, I follow this group of uh, U.S. soccer referees on Facebook, and uh, they were kind of discussing what they thought of the of you know what kind of happened with the call and and that was very interesting because uh a lot of them were speculating that they think that the ar was looking was expecting a long ball so his eyes were on the back line because that's you have to look for offsides and stuff like that and when you really think about like how how reps have to anticipate stuff like that it's really amazing this doesn't happen more often that there are situations like that where it's like, is this going to be a long ball or is this going to be a short ball that's going to be played out? Because you have to know where your eyes are going to be, and it's a big field. 
So, I, I mean, it's kind of a credit to referee that this doesn't happen more. Yeah, it, it's just kind of a, a bummer that it happens on the stage that it uh, that it did. You know, uh, now, it, it flipped on, I think from this point, I think you absolutely nailed it. I, I think Columbus really kind of, it, it was like waking a sleeping dragon, and they finally um, kind of really took it, as you said, to Portland. I think that also comes, though, with the game state changing and Portland really saying, okay, we can, we're going to soak up pressure. I think that they um, they really tried to use the width at their hand uh, at their disposal. Um, I really felt that uh, Villafania uh, really really did what um, he's done all playoffs, and that is just completely shut down uh, the guy that he's assigned to. And, and this this time it was Ethan Finley. Finley could not get a cross in to save his life. He couldn't he couldn't beat him one on one. He had help consistently with uh either Sh- uh Shiraz coming over to help him out or or one of three or four other different uh supports coming out from the defense it, it just it was a mess it, it was it was really frustrating you could see it just kind of build up uh, you saw it with Chani you saw it with uh Harrison uh awful you saw it with even with uh with a couple of the more um you definitely saw it with Justin Miram, um, who just he really took a couple of hard hits early on, and by that, the, finally the first foul that was called on him, he he definitely got into uh, uh, Mufafa's face and just kind of three fingers. This is this is how many times I've been hit. How come this is the first time I'm being called? So um, it, it it definitely was a lot of pressure that they were feeling at that point in time, and a lot of frustration that things just were not working for him very early on, but. You know, it's funny. I really expected to see more crosses. And credit to the Portland Timbers for really cutting down those lanes. I, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of crosses. What, there was 29, I want to say, crosses that were that were 27. 27 crosses by Columbus. I thought it would be upwards of 35 to 40 in this match, especially towards the end of this game. And... Columbus just kind of ran out of energy and I don't know. I don't know what, what was kind of your takes on, on them going and turning the tide there. Uh, we're still talking about the first half, right? Yeah. Cause yeah, the, the first half was interesting because Columbus pressed and they pressed hard and, and in many ways they were very effective and they were able to put some chances together. Uh, you know, they had, I believe four key passes in that half, something like that. The offense was generally working, and they were able to get the goal. By the second half, however, and it's hard to tell why, and I think it has to do with Portland making a more concerted effort to, they started sitting back more. And I and I say this because the defensive actions really start stacking in that half. We had, uh, Nagby had five tackles in the game, which is, that's defensive midfielder numbers. So again, Nagby's putting in insane work. 20% of them were in the first half, 80% in the second half. Uh, with Diego Char, he had 12 defensive actions. Uh, five of those eight were in the second half. So it seemed like they were sitting back more in the second half. However, when you actually look at what Columbus was doing in the second half, they were doing worse offensively. Uh, they had 15 incomplete passes in the final third, but only a 55% success rate in that half. 
uh, only two of those came from central areas. They only had two cent uh, two passes from central areas, in that or the incomplete pass from central areas. They had 75% uh, success rate from central areas as a whole, but it's still they just weren't getting there enough. Uh, I think most shockingly was um, that they had zero completed crosses, zero, and that's absolutely crazy because you would think that after pumping in you know five ten crosses and you're not hitting anything and it's not working it keeps going to borchers and ritual you would re you would stop and realize no we're gonna i'm gonna instead of going to the line and hooping this in i'm gonna reset back to the center mid where we are completing passes you know we're gonna i'm gonna play a more dynamic game or a more balanced game but no they seem to when pressed and in trouble and their backs against the wall, they seem to revert to their style. They're, we're going to cross it more. We're going to cross it more. And it just played into Portland's hands. Um, they had zero passes from the left side in that half, in the final third. Zero. Absolutely ridiculous. Well, I mean, that was just Miriam cutting in. I mean, you saw him sitting over almost sitting on top of Federico Iguain on so many different occasions. Uh, both, both of the them seem to be running into each other along with Will Trapp trying to find space. It was really kind of an odd scenario uh, with all that compression of personnel. And I feel like Portland almost almost wanted that to happen. Yeah, well, absolutely. The, the well, I, it, it, I, I should say, like, obviously they wanted that to happen to where players are sitting there and they're not finding space, especially Columbus that preys on space. But I feel like that was that was more of an inattentional um, result that worked in their favor. I feel like the when you have Borchers and Ridgewell and Kamara is was injured, it plays into the hands for Columbus to just we're just gonna go down the right side and cross a lot, cross thirteen times in the half, complete they complete zero of them. It shows something that I've been harping on this problem for Columbus and why I don't think that they're that great of a team in the first place. They're not a very creative team. If you can shut down the one thing that they do well, and I think we saw that in this game, they don't have a lot of ideas. They had zero key passes in that half. That's kind of insane for a team that had all of the possession in that half and was for, I mean, they should have been creating chances. They really should have. A more creative team would have created chances. Yeah, you know, for for, and I and I kind of thought about this. You know, I I talked about how I didn't think that they're one dimensional, but at the same time, I don't feel like <laughs> what they were trying wasn't working. But I don't feel like they were trying what they were good at either. Um, well, the subs, Kai, Kai Kamara, the subs won, kind of pushed. Sorry, Kamara won one aerial duel in the entire match. Wow. In the entire match. And it wasn't even inside the 18-yard box. Yeah, he wasn't healthy. He was not healthy. I mean, it, it was very, very frustrating. You could tell he was frustrated. He was just emotionally uh, just spent. And, and Borchers and Ridgewell really owned him and really took advantage of uh, his, um, I don't want to say disability, but, you know, his, his lack of uh, mobility. It, it was it was something that really played in Portland's favor. Yeah, absolutely. And what's funny is that for all the pressing that Columbus did in that half, 
it, it was still clearly Portland's half in terms of they just were the more dangerous team. Uh, the only reason why Portland didn't go up more in that half was Michael Parker's. Michael Parker's had three blocks in the box. One of them was a handball, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. That's not and, it. I mean, but I mean, it's kind of like the and Matrix. one was a tackle. It's kind of like the Matrix, right? Sometimes, sometimes the rules of physics can can be bent, and, and you know, if you if you are the best at, at bending, uh, you know, you can make magic happen. And, and in this case, Michael per- Parker obviously uh, got away with some uh, some laws of phys- physics being uh, being bent, and was able to uh, kind of help his team out. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, for I mean. When you give up that much space behind you, like Columbus did in pressing, you have to have ideas going forward, and they didn't. And Portland did in the counter. And really, Portland should have, if it weren't Michael Parker's, ended that game. Ended that game in the second half. But to be fair to Columbus, they were put in that position by really odd circumstances. It was a very odd cup as a whole. It really was. Um, Columbus actually blocked more crosses than Portland, uh, 15 to 11. Um, Portland had a higher percentage of their passes uh, in the final third than Columbus, which is surprising. Um, I I felt like if Columbus had the ball, when they had the ball, it was in the final third. So, I mean, uh, versus Portland, I felt like they – received a ton of uh, a ton of balls in their yeah, but, area uh, and, and and really didn't do necessarily a lot with it within their own third. I thought they were very quick. You know, they were quick to strike and then to get back on defense. I didn't feel like they kind of spent a lot of time in the final third. So it just was – that was surprising to me. And then yeah, additionally – They picked their chances for sure. The no, crew, no, as we're saying. Now, that was a, that's not a criticism uh, by any measure. I mean they, they were smart. They were up in the game state. They wanted to uh, make sure it stayed that way, and that's that's how any practical team in a cup game should play. Uh, but with that, I, I was also surprised it was actually Portland that had the higher amount of loss of possession. And, um, and that's just – that's that's crazy. Uh Looking at loss of possession in general, it was uh, it was Portland that had more losses of possession within their own half than um, than Columbus, uh, which is funny when we talk about how Portland came out and just blitzkrieg the uh, the crew early on and won a lot of turnovers. It wasn't something that continued to happen. They were smart, they were conservative, and uh, you know that that's just kind of funny the way that that kind of turns out over the course of, you know, 90 minutes. And I think that's something to remember that this game is played over 90 minutes. And I think Greg Burhalter tried to try to get his players in that mindset. And I, I just don't think that it ever really took. Well, yeah. Speaking of Greg Burhalter, what did you think of the subs? Because I think that part of the problem in the second half was the substitutions were all kind of pushed them in the direction that they ended up going. By taking out Iguain, you kind of take out your the guy that is going to be there centrally, who's going to play those three balls. By putting another forward in the box in uh, McInerney, it just seemed like, okay, guys, we're just going to cross it a lot and hope that you know someone gets on the end of it. It seemed like that, more than anything, kind of killed the crew in the second half 
Just not well, he, very well. Did he sub out or was it Miram? Higuain subbed out, I believe. Let me let me double check that. Actually, you yeah, double check Finley that. And, my computer will crash. Finley and Miram came out, and I kind of thought that Miram needed to stay in and move. Uh, actually, I thought I, I really thought Higuain should have been uh, should have been should have stayed on. Um, I felt like he was probably. Um, and it's kind of damning praise. I felt like he was probably the best attacking piece on that team um, yesterday. And it, I, yeah, that's even more telling. I thought he was subbed out then. <laughs> but but with that, I mean, Iguain had uh, the second most touches behind Will Trap uh, on this pitch. I mean, he he was very influential. Um, but with that, you know, wasn't he, creating though. He wasn't creating enough. He was drifting wide. He was drifting wide a lot too. He he had a fair his fair share of crosses. He seemed to buy in to the whole second half game plan of let's just pretend the left doesn't exist. We'll all go down the right hand side and we'll just cross the ball a lot. And uh, you know one of them's gonna bounce off uh, Kamara's head and we'll get our goal. Well, and and that's kind of the sad part is they they just weren't able to find Kai Kamara. And so you know you're. It's you're, not sad. It's not sad because crosses, I, I hate them. They're boring. They're from an analytics standpoint, they're ineffective. And if I ever have a son, I'm going to take the square button off of the PlayStation controller so that he will grow up playing FIFA, where he only plays through balls. So then when he, once he starts playing soccer, that's all he'll do. He'll just play through through balls. I believe <laughs> that is how we're going to fix. Yeah, that's how we need to fix the developmental pyramid. That and we need more game shows to pick players because Viafania was excellent. That's the pure soccer pyramid working that when players slip through the cracks, we have game shows to pick them up. The soccer pyramid's fine. Yep. I think it's, I, I think it, you know, proof at proof at hand, right? Proof is in the pudding. Yeah, what, an, what an American way. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great American way to fix the pyramid to have game shows be the solution? <laughs> Well, why not? I mean, you know, that's how players are being identified in India for baseball. I mean, right? What? I, I, you'll have to tell me the story. Some oh, yeah, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they, they did a whole thing, like uh, kind of a who wants to be a millionaire, only who wants to be a pitcher in the Major League Baseball. And they Disney did a movie about this, I think, like, what, a year ago or something. But, yeah, it, it happened. They won, like, some uh, – I don't know if either of them ever pitched pitched in the major leagues, but they got con you know minor league contracts and whatnot. So yeah, why not? Let's let's give let's give players you know some uh, a team. But here's the thing, it won't get any ratings because it's soccer, and so that's obviously the downfall. I, I believe Swain uh, MLS because um, I remember watching it and I don't speak Spanish, uh, so that's that's an anecdote. That's not really that doesn't speak to the ratings. Um, I don't think it did too poorly. I then saw, again, point, I I saw someone say it was a point three on Twitter today. So whatever. I I think I think TV ratings in general are are skewed in a really stupid way, anyways. To to try to measure um to try to measure it, I think that there's probably a better way. And I think I've discussed That's what this all before. of us nerds. All of us nerds say that because all of our favorite shows get canceled. The real problem is that America as a whole likes bad shows. The right, you know, America in general has really bad taste, i.e. it's not ours. So, right. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, 
getting off the subject and this is kind of our halftime spiel. Um, so it, let's say you are in Caleb Porter's halftime uh, locker room. You get to listen to hear to hear him say something. What is what is like one thing that he was like harping on that you you could definitely tell when the second half started uh, that w- was mentioned. I think it was uh, well. It's hard to tell how much of this is reactionary to what Columbus did. But the amount that Nagby dropped back positionally seems telling. So that may have been a, sh- a shift that he could have been telling them, we're going to look to absorb more pressure because guys, they were getting a little, they had uh, too many key passes from central areas in uh, the first half. Let's cut that down. Let's force them wide. Let's make them cross into, uh, you know, Ridgewell and uh, Borchers. Did we even mention Kai Kamara's goal? We didn't uh, mention uh, Kai Kamara's goal. And let's uh, let's do it. all right. Let's backtrack really fast from the rewind and then press play. What was Corsi doing? I, I, I he was like trying to punch the ball Superman style over uh, Alvis Powell. I think Kai Kamara falls down. I mean, it was like a comedy of errors. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, things got really Ricketts. good. Like Kamara had a great turn on the ball. Corsi. Adam Corsi like got up and I thought he was going to stop the shot with how quick his actions were. And Alvis Powell made a great last second move to try to fall down and stop the shot. It goes right through the wickets for a goal, but it like went from really bad to really good in like fractions of a second. See the, when that goal went in immediately, I thought of, because I had been chatting with people who were watching the game overseas and, you know, watching the game in England and all that. I was kind of curious, oh, I wonder what this looks like to someone just tuning in as a novelty. Let's see what soccer's like in the States. And then you see the first goalkeeper in air, then you see the second one. I'm just sitting there thinking, like, this is supposed to be a showpiece game and these goalkeepers are making the league look ridiculous. That's all I could think about. You know, small sample size. It's not really the fault of anyone that you're going to have really weird things happen in singular games every once in a while. But when you really think about this as a showpiece game, it really didn't exemplify the quality of MLS at all. I, I, I get that. And I guess part of me just says, it, this isn't a, this isn't about a showcase game. And if it is, I mean, act like it's a showcase game. You know, this is well, a championship game. And it is a showpiece game. It's like the All-Star game. It's broadcast around the world. Right. And, and and I get that. But at the same time, I mean, it's a showcase game, but it's not at the same time. This is a championship game. And, and crazy crap happens, and you kind of have to just deal with it. And I feel like the team that deals with it the best is the team that um, ultimately uh, gets rewarded at the end of the day. Uh I really think Columbus very much could have come back from this game. And oh, absolutely. They just, you know, they just weren't like the they, team they to just, do it. They, they, they got what they deserved. Out. They couldn't. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They got what they deserve. But they couldn't get out of for like the second gear. They got it into second gear going into, you know, with that goal with Kamara. And then they, it's like they downshifted after that. And they never really got 
more than that. You know, they, Columbus, they... to me, Columbus exemplifies the weakness of the East. Columbus, I'm going to say this again. I do not think that they would qualify in the West. And if they did, it would have been that last position, barely edging out Sporting Kansas City. Columbus is a decent team that isn't creative enough. And it really showed in this game. You can't with, with all that. I don't that think, I don't think that's that fair. Have. I think some of the passes were there, but I think with Kamara being injured, I think with no, Federico they weren't Iguain, because there were zero key, there were zero key passes in the second half. They absolutely weren't there. That was the problem. They had but, zero completed but you can't you can't crosses. put you can't say that just because there's no key passes that there wasn't good passes. I mean that goes back to what you know you and Matt Doyle's conversation on Twitter earlier today. Just because. You know the pass just because the the sins of the the striker or the sins of the the person on on the ball doesn't necessarily translate. Now that being said, I think that there was some really good positioning by Kamara, and I felt like the passes were just lacking. And I think in some cases the pass that let that would lead to the pass uh, was really what was lacking. That's what Federico Iguain is. That's what he's really been all year he hasn't necessarily been the final pass he's set up miram and finley so much this year that it felt like everything everything else from this game just felt like there was missing something i felt like it was him trying to do more than what he normally has i felt like he was trying to be creative but he didn't have the touch to do it. It's it's he his balls weren't weighted. He he put a little bit too much uh, on it. He would drift him a little bit too wide. It it just it wasn't it wasn't this classic Federico that we've seen over the last few years. And you kind of wonder. And I heard this somewhere else on another podcast. If he's not kind of hitting his end. And, and, you know, you can speculate that, uh, you know, extrapolate it from one game and one 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 scenario. But I think that there's been a decline in his game this year. And I think that that's largely been to um, the detriment of Columbus. To some extent, but I think it also is sort of what's happening. They were you're not seeing as much from from him because it's becoming more and more about crossing because you have Kai Kamara. Which I get, but at the same time, it's going to bite you in the end. There's only been, in our data, one team that's won MLS Cup that has us cross the through ball ratio over 9 to 1. And that was Kansas City. It'd be fun to go back even further. No, actually, it probably wouldn't be fun. Um, Um, The classic example is 2012 San Jose to show you that it's, you know, that they didn't win the Cup, but they. We're a very historic team. They won the Shield. They were like the best offensive team in MLS history. To show you that it's possible to have a completely one-dimensional offense, but it's not advisable. And because a team, if a team can shut it down, then you're shut down. And that's what so, happened. Columbus, oh, the, they fell on their sword. They fell on their sword. Who was the Who was the MVP of this game? Uh, this is one of those games I don't think deserves an MVP. I mean, like, Portland won the game, and that should be it. Like, Valeri should get it because he slid onto a ball. I, I mean, I 
I don't. But, really but you know what? He was really. I I, I thought Valeria was very good. Um, yeah, yeah, but so was Nagby, so was Chara, and I don't think anyone really stood out. But that's above that's the Portland in, in a nutshell, right? No one necessarily ever stands out. They're all uh, just. They're, it's a very team based. I mean, that's not fair. Yes. You know, Darlington Nagby obviously stands out uh, on more than one occasion, but it, it, the team itself is not obviously not built around its success of one player, right? I mean, the idea is Valeri can have his night, Adi can have his night, Nagby can have his night. Right. I don't think anyone had a night. I think everyone just had a solid game. And, that's, and I think that was, that was what makes it hard. And that's their playoff run in a nutshell, right? Mm, I wouldn't say that. I think uh, Nagby... Uh, kind of carried the Dallas series. I I think he was very good in the second leg. I think in the first leg he was good. I don't think he was great. I thought that there was some definite. Oh, oh, the, no, the, the first leg he had like three incomplete passes. None, the first leg was insane from that. I, like I said, I thought the he second was... one was when was he was more of a circulator and Valeri was more of the chance creator. I mean, th- there were different games. Right. Well, I, I actually I thought that the fact that he dropped back and I thought he was the difference maker from a defensive standpoint. I thought that he definitely shut down Dallas's uh, and, and supported uh, Dallas's uh, or rather supported the defensive efforts and in, in deterring Dallas in such a way. So that, that's just my my opinion. I know that. Um, no, it's, it's game differently. Don't fall into that trap, Harrison. When you have data on your side, I don't like it when people say, well, that's just my opinion. Say, no, the data supports that he <laughs> that yeah, he but the, was but data defensively active in that game. First of all, first of all, you can't say you can't say, look, um, definitively he was better in game uh, yes, A than he was in game B. We can but argue I don't like different people say, Right, but you let's put weight where weight belongs. Data gives more weight than well, my in my opinion. No, and, no, absolutely. But me trying to say, hey, okay, um, the amount of uh, defensive actions that he collected in game two was superior to you know his uh, the lack of turnovers that you know he had in the first leg. Uh, I, I don't think that there's, I I I don't think that we quite understand though the value in that. I think that there's certainly value in possession and, and not just possession, but dispossession, I think is, is really where it's at. I think that's really key. And I think that guys like Nagby that can hold on to the ball. So many people get caught up with, um, with possession numbers. And I think that that's, you know, obviously I, I think a lot of people are, are starting to understand that that's, that's bad possession doesn't necessarily mean, you know, the better team won or, you know, one team was more dominant than the other. Not every team tries to re- retain the ball, but at the same time, there's teams that are going to go ahead and throughout the game, they're going to spray uh, through balls. You know, Will, Will Trap is one of those guys that's going to do that, and he's really successful, but you flip the coin, and there's defensive mid- uh, midfielders that are going to go ahead and spray the ball that are Oh, they're okay with you know being 30 or even 40 percent successful because that's probably going to give them at least one really good high leverage opportunity. Uh, so, and and I say this because turning the ball over on a pass is one thing. 
turning the ball over because you get dispossessed and the midfield is quite another and they basically on the stats on the stat sheet they 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 seem very similar um because they both probably lead to um one less possession but ultimately they're different because of where they happen and where it occurs so and and i know i'm preaching the choir but i say all this to say i don't necessarily agree that you can say that nagby's game against in in the first leg against dallas was that much better than his game in the second leg i thought in the second leg he was instrumental um and, and deterring what uh in deterring their 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 attack i thought that was why um you saw to get what 13 touches in, in 60 minutes of play uh, so they, well, they... actually well i'll bring something up that uh you kind of touched on this earlier but we've sort of broached the topic now what did you think of and this kind of gets us off in the game but i think we're kind of wrapping up the game yeah anyway. we're, we're we're kind of we've kind of out, outside the game at this point what did you think of Matt Doyle's article on Maidana today? Because, well, just to give some background, in the article, he argues that Maidana is is weak in possession. He's essentially a forward. Uh, those were two points that I took issue with. I took issue with that. I, I, uh, no. I, I didn't he's, quite. I, I didn't. I didn't read it that way. So uh, I'll, I'll just say that. But go on. Well, no, that's what he said. He said that he doesn't like he showed a gift that showed that he's not showing for a ball in this certain situation, which he absolutely wasn't. That's fine. Um, he uh, he brought up a stat that was very intriguing, um, which is that he it does not get fouled a lot. And usually good attacking players get fouled a lot. And so he gives you all these the best attacking players, their foul numbers and looking at uh, Idonis. But then to say that he's not. Strong. To say that he doesn't, like, the argument seemed to be that he wasn't showing for the ball enough, that he wasn't getting the ball enough, that he wasn't good in possession. This is a top 10 player in touch percentage. And um, it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, he's got a ton of people adding him all the time. Uh, so, like, he doesn't always have, have time to, uh, you know, respond to everything. Uh, he didn't respond to that when I brought that up. I kind of wish he did because he's a super smart guy and I'd love to have that conversation with him. I don't see how you can make the argument that a guy who's at 12.7% touch percentage adjusted for his team or adjusted for time on the field uh, percentage in the percentages of uh, touches for the team can be called anything but a, a someone that is strong possession. And you can't really call that a forward because there isn't a forward in the league that has that kind of touch numbers. Yeah, uh, in fairness, number one, he never said he was weak. Um, I, I I think that the idea was that he doesn't help in possession uh, or defense, it, well, you know, and, and that's and that's verbatim. The defense, the so the defense is fine. Yeah, defensive actions. We we've, we we this it, is something that he, we've he talked about. Pos- he said dirty possession, right? I believe was the pull up the article. Uh, that that's very possible that he used that. Uh, I don't. I don't. He might have used that on Twitter because I, I. I think that I feel like that he said that at one point in time. Uh, not to put words in his mouth, but yeah. Right. So the idea that Madonna is this player that's. Um, he is unique. I, I will definitely give credit to that, and I think what that does there it is mean something to be weak said. in possession? What's that? 
What does it mean to be weak in possession? Because if you're getting touches, no, that means that you're showing for the ball. I said unique, unique. Settle down. I'm not saying you, but I'm saying that that was an assertion in the article. No, but I, I don't think that he, I don't think that he was weak. I think it was that he. There's a difference necessarily between being weak and and not helping in possession. Well, just okay, not helping. How can you? If you have 12% of the touches, that almost by definition means that you are showing for the ball a lot. Right, but here's the thing. So if that is helpful in possession. It, it, but, Sean, if you have 12% of the possession, there is 88% of the time that you don't. Okay. So I think what – 12% is just what, to give you – And specifically – but specifically what he talks about here okay. is he talks about – his movement or his lack of movement that could have opened up space uh, specifically, specifically for other players. And I get that. I, I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make Matt's argument for him. Uh, And it's kind of tragic that he's not here to be able to do that. Uh, We need definitely need to arrange this and get him on. But the thing is, is that he's got a range of, abilities uh, and i called him on twitter today i called him uh diego valeri light because uh, he doesn't have mm-hmm. uh valeri's work ethic he doesn't have his engine to where he's going to chase all the balls uh, as we saw valeri valeri doesn't do that normally but valeri is still pretty decent about tracking back and being involved in, in a team concept uh type defense that portland kind of embraces so with that Madonna doesn't do that and on t- on certain teams you can have a number 10 that doesn't do that and that's fine additionally he doesn't go back into the into the midfield and collect the ball and dribble up I mean that, that's partially yeah. why he doesn't uh, he, that's why he doesn't get fouled so often is because it, it these are tiny circulating passes a lot of them and then he just kind of hits the um the hammer kind of hits the bullet and he launches whatever he finds. Well, he, uh, well, he obviously, it doesn't affect the amount of touches he has because that's obviously something that was supplemented by the fact that uh, Noguera had uh, well, almost equal percentage as he did. They were both top 10 touch percentage guys. I think well, when you you're can, you can at that say, end but, of the touch percentage. Probably, from the games that I've seen, those two work in tandem, right? So yeah, Well, that's my point. My point is that this isn't in a vacuum here. You ha- have to look at his role on the team. And I. it's just strange to me. It, it really comes down to what we mean by possession here. Because if it's a matter of showing for the ball, it's a, the mere fact there is something to be proven here by those touches. And that is if you're getting 12% of them, which is an elite number. But uh, it, it I, is. I don't. But it, I don't. I mean, it's not Javier Morales, but it is. It is but this very, isn't very a, good. Having te- having having a high percentage of your team touches isn't necessarily good or bad. But, yes, but when you're talking it, it, about it could, possession, it, it could, it, it's it, indicative of of getting passes. It, it's it's your influence on your team. Yes, but it's indicative of receiving passes as a major part of it. Because if you're not receiving passes. Like forwards do not receive as many passes, therefore their touch numbers are not as are not as strong as right. midfielders. When you look at when you look at five seven percent, when you look at defensive when you look at the defensive lines, 
who has the most touches? It's the outside backs, because the outside backs are involved much right. more they're, in the passing. Right. Fullbacks so, are basically the point guards of soccer. Right, so you have to look at the spectrum here. Where does he fall on the spectrum of touches? And look at the players around him. They are all players that you would never, ever accuse of being weak in possession. I think what he does is different. I mean, it's a more higher... It's, he doesn't come back into the midfield, but that doesn't mean he doesn't still get the touches. It doesn't mean that he's still not getting... He's still not showing for the ball. And he's still not getting those touches. He's still not... He's still getting the same amount of passes. And when you look at the key passes and all that, he's still having the same attacking influence. So I get the argument for the defense. I think that's fine. I think that's a that's something that has been kind of the Achilles heel of him and is kind of... Uh, he struggled with that. Teams have struggled to fit him in because of that. But... I think it's a little bit of a reach to talk about his possession game. And we'll see what Houston does with them. We'll see how well he does with Houston. I happen to think he's going to do very well there. With Kubo Torres, with Will Bruin, these great channel runners, I think he's going to have a lot of success there. And I, I guess uh, we'll just let that sort of be the uh, be the deciding you know factor in this argument because ultimately – Teams do matter on a player. Like, Freddie Dew was, was assumed to be terrible in MLS. because It was because he was on Philadelphia. It was creating, he was creating good chances. It was just there. He was yeah, creating them. His, his season with with Philadelphia, we've talked about this before. We both, he did have a, a pretty decent season there when uh, nobody. Yeah, it was, was just, touching. yeah, it was just Pahoy was a terrible finisher. Like, that's what it came down to. When you look at the his targets, the runners in Philadelphia, it's, they're just not there. Uh, we've even talked about this with Warren Cabal, how Warren Cabal had a great season in Houston, goes off, his career kind of dies in Toronto. This happens to a lot of players. It's just not a right fit. And I don't think Philly ever built the team around Maidana. Yeah, as much as you want to say that he's been the central piece, and he has. He, he I mean, he's had the touches to prove it, as we, as we just discussed. The thing is that he really, I don't think, ever got paired up with anyone long-term. I think uh, Aristi uh, Gaeta uh, would have been an interesting uh, long-term fit in terms of uh, he's pretty good with the ball at his feet. He's kind of uh, what well, he's, he's like a kind of a, a better Spanish uh, Kenny Cooper for, you know, if I want to be crude. Um, <laughs> but well, Kenny Cooper's not a target forward. He just looks like one. Well, and that's Aristide Gaeta didn't. It wasn't a target forward either. I mean, it, it's not. Okay, it's, I guess he, he was pretty good with the ball at his feet. He was just a tall guy, and so I think that the idea was that. Um, well, I, I, it, let me backpedal there. Implying, implying Philadelphia has ideas. Yeah, I mean they had they had some different ideas about how they were wanting to structure him, and I don't think there was ever um, this this idea that they were going to put him with uh and i'm sure they tried to put him with somebody that was a proven goal scorer but they they never did they never put him with somebody that consistently was going to score you know 10 15 goals and and it's possible that aristigaeta possibly does that one time uh but he doesn't uh hasn't yet maybe he does this year i guess they're holding on to him from from what i hear uh but i mean I think he's going to be much more successful down in Houston. And one thing that uh, Matt Doyle had talked about in his article was that, you know, he likes the 
ball at his, uh, at his feet and he doesn't necessarily score the amount of goals or the occasional goal that's necessary. I mean, he scored 3,000 or three goal, <laughs> 3,000, three goals in his 4,000 MLS minutes. Um, and, and you might just kind of say, oh, you know, that that's because uh, he just doesn't like to shoot. But in reality, I mean, he shoots nearly as much as what Benny Fellhaber does. And Benny Fellhaber scored six goals this year. The difference between him and Fellhaber, if you if you really want to cut down to it, is Fellhaber takes shots inside the 18-yard box. And, he also takes penalties. And he takes penalties. But I mean, that's... But, I mean, even if you look at expected goals, even if you look at the expected goals, yeah, no, that's, Madonna that's takes... Fair. Madonna takes shots that are uh, probably not, uh, probably not high. And I had no issue. I had no issue with that. My only issue with Matt's article was the possess the the idea that he was a forward and that he wasn't good in possession. I thought it was an odd thing. He kind of tossed it out there with, to me, not. It was such a striking thing to say that it needed a little more evidence. I'm sure he has it because he's, like I said, he's a very smart guy, and I'd love to, you know, hear him elaborate more. I just felt like it, there wasn't enough elaboration. I, I, I well, see, and I, I kind of disagree. I, I, I'm still kind of holding to the idea that um, he said that he's really one-dimensional, and that really doesn't. That uh, I, I don't agree with that. Because if you compare him to uh, the percentage of his key passes that they built up, I mean, he's very similar to Valeri. Um, 33, 30, uh, 38% both on crosses, uh, 19 versus 27 on corner uh, through balls, both of them with really low. Uh, Diego Valeri only has 4%, only had 4% of his through balls um, go for key passes. Or four percent mm-hmm. of his key passes come yeah, from Yeah, I saw balls. that. You tweeted that earlier. Yeah. Um, Maidano obviously needs to work on that, especially with having two runners uh, with you know Will Bruin and Giles uh, Barnes. But I don't think I didn't ever see anybody that really got on the end of any through balls for Maidana. Even so, I mean, I obviously I'm not somebody watching Philadelphia every week, but. And then Valerian Madonna both created a high number of uh, um, shots from other avenues, you know, just uh, interweaving play and whatnot and one touches. But overall, I thought that they're both really similar. And I don't think it it's quite uh, categorically correct to, to say Madonna is a, a is a is a one trick pony, you know, he, he does crosses and that's about it. I Yeah, he's done that before and and definitely that's going to be something that's going to be to Houston's benefit um, that he does from time to time. But I feel like he has other, other, uh, other tricks within the stable, so to speak. So we'll, we'll kind of let that rest. Um, what do you, what did you think of some of the, some of the players that uh, I guess players out of contract players that were, uh, that were being released today for uh, the re-entry draft that came out today. There are some, uh, some interesting names. Do you have any specifically picked out that, that you were uh, curious about or that you kind of have uh, highlighted for LA for, for or LA? any teams, really any teams, really? <laughs> uh, I was specifically LA. I was surprised they let Kenny Walker go. Um, I really like Kenny Walker just personally. Overall in the league, I think this may be the most intriguing reentry draft that I've ever seen. Uh, 
Now, uh, I think uh, we got Luis Silva in there. Uh, Vicente Sanchez, who uh, from Colorado, who had 0.74 expected goals uh, plus assists uh, per 90 in 2014. That's an exceptionally high number. Uh, we got defenders like Stephen Bateshore, uh, Pamadou Ka. Uh, and then you've got Rudy, who you know we're both huge fans of. And then uh, this isn't – we're still trying to figure out what's going on because there's uh, the defensive midfielder, Pitaneri. Yeah, from Pitaneri, Colorado. From Colorado, um, who's 23. He has 5.9 defensive actions per 90, which is third best in the league from his position. And uh, he's kind of – the only reason you haven't heard from him is because he's from Colorado. And, you know, if there's a Colorado game on TV, you turn it off and you go outside because there's better ways to spend your life. <laughs> but – I mean, it's true. Like that team is probably the most boring team in the league this year, and it's just it's unfortunate, but because they've got some, they've got a lot of interesting pieces, but I can't really put my finger on why. According to Colorado, the the article released by Colorado, he was released. Right. They, now they, they detailed right. that, but they also said they also stated a couple other players were released. Um, right. And they didn't quite make it to the the. Yeah, and yeah, that's what I was about to bring up. The MLS just released an article that had here are all the players available for reentry draft, and Pinnari's not on that, and Pinnari's definitely not available for free agency. So not really sure if that's a mistake or if something's going on contract wise. Maybe they're resigning them. I don't know. I don't pretend I, to know. I did see that when they MLS. released. When they, when they released it, they did make an annotation that they were they were working contracts with several players, and they made a point to, to mention Drew Moore, um, but they they did not. Uh, but, but Drew Moore wasn't listed on the players released. I don't correct. believe. Yes, he was. He was okay. He was. Well, that's probably what happened. Then they probably re-signed him, which is unfortunate because uh, I would have lo- loved uh, I love to see him on a team that I could watch because he's really fun to watch. But those are the guys that I would highlight. Um, I think, so, injury-wise, a lot of teams would do well to pick them up, although pretty expensive, a lot of them. Well, yeah, there are definitely some uh, financial concerns, and, and none more uh, kind of glaring than uh, Mike McGee, uh, which you kind of wonder what's going to happen with him following uh, his injury that basically put him out for the – first part of the season and every well the the entire and season and the year before right well no he's been out for like a, a good two years now right well i thought he i thought he got some some uh some playing time early on in the season then re-injured himself he did but i mean when you look at the grand scheme of things he's probably missed like 70 percent of two years right that's probably yeah, fair, no right? yeah it, it's a high it's a very high percentage so but uh, at the same time he gets paid DP money, right? Well, he does, but he was an league MVP so at one time. He is a free agent, so right. um, and so I'm gonna, at the free agent list right now, and it appears I guess he's gonna. Or, yeah, his agent's gonna be knocking around and say, "We've got a former MLS MVP, by the way, the most undeserved MVP of all time." But we got a former, uh, and I'm a huge Mike McGee fan, but it's true. It's the former MVP here. They're gonna they're gonna jack up the price, and people like. You know, they're going to be a lot of sucker teams. They're going to like, oh, goals, and they're going to go in for him. I don't think it's a good buy. I just don't. Uh, you know, a lot of people want him to come back to L.A. There's no chance in hell L.A. has the budget to do that. Yeah, I, 
I thought it was really cool that uh, Sporting Kansas City sent a tweet to him this morning, uh, along with uh, Justin Mapp, as far as uh, free agents that they obviously uh, are are interested in. Uh, that was kind of that was kind of a fun little uh, MLS type tweet. Enjoy those. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't see the tweet. What did it say? Uh, yeah, uh, their their president. Uh, let, me, let me pull it up. Their president, what is it, Rob Hennerman? Um, let me see. Is that Heineman? Heineman. There you are, Rob Heineman. I don't have the name in front of me. Uh, let me see. Uh, do, 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 do. Well, I tweeted a lot today. Um, you may have tweeted a lot for you. Well, but right. For me. Yes, Rob Heineman. Uh, happy free agency. Let's start recruiting. SK, uh, hashtag SKC Nation at Justin Map at Mike McGee. Map and make, uh, McGee to KC. So, wow. Yeah, so, you know. That's, that's kind of very, crazy. Very, very blatant. Hey, come play for us. <laughs> that, that's, that's crazy. Wow. I don't know if I've... Uh, I've seen that before. Uh, I can't think of a single sporting team. I mean, uh, yeah, that's up there with, uh, I know you retweeted it. Someone reported that the Seattle Seahawks uh, had traded uh, uh, had traded Lamar Nagel. Yeah, that, that's the Seattle Times for you. Good <laughs> times. <laughs> so, so thinking about that, that's a, that was an excellent move. And, and really – DC United trades Pontius for allocation and Tam and then turns oh, around God, and trades yeah. that allocation for Lamar Nagel. So basically they for got cheaper. Tam and Nagel for the cost and a, of Pontius. Yeah, and cheaper and cheaper. And Pontius, Philadelphia, after trading away Maidana, who we both think is a star. Right. I, I think you think he's a star. After trading away Maidana, a guy that you can build a team around, Goes out and pays four hundred thousand dollars for Chris Pontius. I like Chris Pontius. Who makes twice as much no, as Madonna. Right. There's no way that Chris Pontius is worth four hundred thousand dollars. And not only so, that, but it's been I, it's been almost three years since Pontius has played as many minutes as Madonna played this season. Right. And then and I, this and it was a shortened season. I think it only played like nineteen hundred minutes, eighteen hundred minutes. So there was also talk that they were looking at Jeff Lorenowitz, which I c can totally see happening because Philadelphia. Because Philadelphia. It's Philadelphia. You, you didn't have to even finish that just because yeah, Philadelphia. It it's a yeah it's a stupid move. It's just hashtag stupid. It's just these guys don't know what they're doing and you know we're doing our model front out for philadelphia and i'm just, every time it's gotten to the point where i'm just laughing or i'm just posting their moves and laughing because it's just like we've already won with like we've there's no way that we're going to be as bad as what philadelphia puts out there we're going to look good if only by philadelphia looking bad and i know we're going to look good on our own merits but philadelphia is going to make us look extra good because what are they doing yeah, some really some really interesting moves. Now, I, I think that I, I I'm not as up in arms uh, about the Maidana move, uh, so long as they followed it up with, you know, uh, they were bringing in a really 
good player and i'm not they saying a big are. name they don't they don't have to bring in somebody from spain they don't have to bring in they have to bring in somebody that's going to be a difference maker we didn't know who diego valeri was when he came in we didn't even know who madonna was when he came in you don't have to bring in these these types of you know uh obafemi martin type players you know robbie Keane type players you have to just bring in guys that are going to be successful and you have to be willing in the case of you know um Portland, as we as we kind of talked about before the podcast, Portland's been willing to spend money to get guys in their prime and guys that I, were I, good. I mean, right. that, well, that, that was a bottom I, line. They overspent. They overspent from Milano. As someone who's currently well, okay, scouting South, for, South America okay, heavily, Lina, but Milano is not spend, worth $5 million. they overspend for Ridgewell? Because I think at this point in time, that it, there's a case to be made that, no. that he, he was a great purchase. He ended up being a good purchase based on the moves. They, I think at the time, he didn't make the team better when they brought him in. He definitely was a luxury that they could have. Because I still think a DP, uh, a DP center back is a luxury. He is a luxury they could afford to have based on the moves they got going forward. And also Fernando Adi. And Nagby kind of growing into the players that they ended up being by the end of the season this year. Diego Chara? Chara is another one. I think they... Here, something's going on in Portland. Either they had three players evolve rapidly this year, or we're making a big to-do out of a small sample size, and this is just a hot streak. I think well, I mean, year, it definitely is a hot streak. And I mean that in the most least critical, uh, you know, most intelligent way possible. I know that sounds horrible, but this it's a hot streak. Any team that comes in and wins a MLS tournament, uh, MLS Cup, it's a hot streak. And there's you have no right. right I don't care if you're the Seattle Sounders. I don't care if you're uh, sporting Kansas City. I don't care if you're Columbus Crew. If you win the MLS Cup, you went on a hot streak. And the only way I could be deterred otherwise was if FC Dallas won it or if New York Red Bulls won it. If the Red Bulls won it, I'd be willing to entertain they were the best team in MLS. If FC Dallas won it, I would, I, I most certainly would be declaring them the best team in MLS. But outside that, um, there there are a few teams that, can, that could have won it, and I would have been like, eh, no, there, it was a hot streak. Montreal Impact. If they would have won it, they were on a hot streak. Right, but I, our opinions differ. Have, you have to our have opinions differ different. from the rest of other people, though. Harrison, like I think, just by the we deal statistics to the point that our minds just think statistically in a way that other people don't. People put a lot of value in MLS Cup, and I, I put value on it only to the extent that people put value on it. I want to win it because it's valued, and therefore it's the most important. But some people I, I, honestly I did, did, did. will make arguments. Well, we have more MLS cups, therefore we've been a bit. No, it, but it's here's kind the, here's of a combination the of support is... shield and the cup. They're both deficient in many ways. Well, and that's exactly it. They're both equally weighted, in my opinion. <clears throat> and here's why: they both result in access to the Champions League. And that's so is all... Open Cup. And Open Cup is by no means. Like but that, but that's that's because no, I'm sorry if no one else takes it serious. It, there's four teams that really take it seriously. Right, but and, and outside of that, it's, the value of a trophy 
is determined by the respect it gets. So you can't say, I'm no, sorry no, no one respects not true. this trophy. That's not true. That is not no, true. Th no, that is absolutely true. Sure, I, I give it a lot of respect. Can... So is it, is it valued highly? No, it's not valued highly. Because, because you the... think it's not valued highly. So No, because, it... uh, because MLS as a whole doesn't. I mean, it's valued by is... lower league teams to a pinnacle. So to a lower league team, you absolutely want to go and play an MLS team. To an MLS team, it's a chore on the way to your league trophy and Supporter Shield and CONCACAF Champions that's, League that's in that tournament. Shit. It's not bullshit because language. it's not. It's not in any way because it's a redundant cup. It's a redundant cup because there already is an MLS cup. So And it happens in a league where there's not enough depth to put out teams that are strong enough to... But teams sacrifice for that. See, that's, that's why I, I'm okay. Yeah, and I'm okay with it. If you want to sacrifice some of your some of your teams, and here here this year is going to be a real. I think test this is a lot of Seattle there's... fan talking here, Terrence, and I really do. And, and that's fine, and I know that that's going to be the opinion. I love Champions League. That I I love Champions League. I think that me too. I love going, and I love which is why I would like U.S. Open Cup stripped of it of that of the ability to take people to that tournament because I don't think it's a very good, I want MLS's best teams in that tournament. And I think, but that's like saying, okay, so no, no, look, Canada have it. Should can the Canada cup give access to the CCL? Well, I think the Canada cup is a little more, uh, Four teams but, can win it. Basically, right, I, mean, I, the, I think it's more, it's, it's more, it's more than that, but I mean, it's, it's more, really for, it's, it's more fiercely competitive for the simple fact that no, it's, it's not, it is for the simple fact that they know that it's the champ. The Canadian teams haven't won. Okay. You can't Canadian see teams, my face right now, but I'm giving you, I'm giving them face. Canadian teams have face, not face. won MLS Cup. It is not a realistic goal at this point. Well, not, I mean, Vancouver, has, Vancouver, up until Pedro Morales gets injured, has and and, and Octavio right. goes missing. You know, God, God hope they find this him in the changing. middle of Canada somewhere. This could be changing, too. but it's much easier to win the Canadian Cup. So exactly. you can sacrifice it for if you can sacrifice it for a short number of games. The Open Cup, if it it's, were it's shorter, wait, wait, but it's easier. If the Open Cup were short, if the Open Cup were shorter and that didn't impede on on uh, MLS games and all but that, that's, that's maybe the, that's so, struggle. That's the that's the beauty of it is that no, there's sacrifice okay, that is thing about, with it. And for everybody that goes and, and whines and complains saying the MLS season doesn't mean anything, I mean, that's 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 the humorous thing of it. L.A. can punt half of its season and still, you know, trot out a really good season. Okay, okay. but when it comes to Champions League, I don't think a tournament, uh, a trophy, where – Philadelphia makes it to the final two years in a row. Are we are honestly going to say that Philadelphia should have a shot at? Also, remember when DC United qualified for the tournament with and the, had worst the worst record? season of all time? That, but that's right. but that's like no, no, no. that's and up there with. Don't you dare say that this is an anomaly because the fact that Philadelphia made made it to the final twice, if it's not contested enough by strong teams, then it is a serious problem to say this tournament because. We the, the logic is, oh, if we give it the CCL thing, then people will push for it more. That has not been the case. It's simply not happening. So no, but it should why be. are you – no, MLS – if MLS wants to win CONCACAF Champions League, 
they should put out put in as many strong teams as possible. And the way to do that is to straight up seed it. So the top two. So I would even give it to MLS Cup. Honestly, I would do top two finishers and and uh, wait, how many seeds do we get? Uh, four. Four. I, I would do the top finishers in the in the table. But I mean, so if you want, you can what give about the one Capital One Cup? Capital One Cup, you get the Europa League bid, or the yeah. The I don't Europa. know what that is. Is, is this is this a European thing? I mean, yeah. Well, no, this is English, English thing. thing. English thing. Yeah, I don't. I don't watch. Thing. You know my opinions on English soccer. I, I know. I, I know. And, 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 and what I'm saying, what all I, I hate comparing. They, they, this is this is me really really grasping at straws because I hate comparing us to doing anything to England because I think that you don't have to do what they do to be relevant or. You can just do your own thing, but I mean they do it. I mean, what's what's it, it, in fact? It, it's considered a rich Cup, I've considered arguments um, that the FA Cup people have been saying it should have a uh, U- UCL bid just to give it meaning again, and I'm sitting there laughing and saying maybe that'll maybe that'll do it, but it's certainly not helping over here. I think, but sure, these trophies have history. But I don't. It's it, it's not. Uh, these are you have to look at these as tiered, okay? There are tiered priorities here. MLS Cup is at the top. Supporter Shield is second. If you look at how teams approach those trophies, that's how they approach those trophies. Sure, but that's, doesn't make, that doesn't make it right. That is U.S. Open Cup. It does make it right because that's the one you get much more recognition for that as it's the one that gets stars above your chest. It's the one that gives you, you know, everyone says, who's the champion of the league? It's the cup champion, not the supporter shield. That's true. Yeah. And, and that's absolutely fair. You know, the, if that's how you, you. And how many, it, and, and look at the ratings of the U S open cup versus the MLS cup. And Actually, that's kind of interesting. I don't know what the, what the ratings were for the U S open cup uh, this past year. Cause yeah, this is the first year. This is the first year that was actually uh, it was on TV, well, like legitimate TV. I mean, before oh, okay. it was like blackballed on some unknown, you know, private network that you know everybody couldn't. Um, couldn't but guess get why? To, but... but guess why? Because it people, when you are put on those channels, it's because it's not of interest. Otherwise, the well, that that that's not fair. That was, I mean, part of it was the fact that. Yeah, ESPN really wasn't really willing to throw money at it. Um, and, and why would they? I mean, this is a tournament when it could be the Charleston Battery versus DC United. Like, and as fun as that game is to watch, and it is very fun to watch when that when that happens. It's not a tournament. How are you? How you're arguing against? You're like arguing my points for me, and then arguing against them all at the same time. You can't do that. It's not fair. I'm sorry. I don't. I'm very stern in my belief, and and I say this, and people will say, "Well, it's because the Galaxy don't try." When the Galaxy tried for this year, and they legitimately did this year, they put out strong rosters. I completely threw a fit. I was like, "This is stupid. We are trying, but like, we do not have enough points accrued in the table to care about this meaningless trophy." But see that and, you, you. But see, you're constantly assuming that they're not going to get better, and, and I think that that's unfair. 
I, I think to to look at the immediate gain, I mean, come on, what, what were we preaching the whole time all season long about Montreal and, and about really Toronto too, is that they had the, the season down the stretch where they were going to be playing home games, but I they weren't playing that. during a tough stretch. And so they could kind of hedge their bet and say, well, we're going to throw go all in because we already have a, a lower chance of winning the, this set of games. That way, when we're well-rested and when we're better able to really take on these games, we're going to throw out our best lineups then. I mean, I think we've pretty much like finished our you know, talking about this. I mean, uh, you have your opinion. I might, I, it's just in my oh, opinion. Oh, but what does the data say, Sean? What data? There's isn't data <laughs> on, like, you can't, I wish there were, like, I wish there were data on all my opinions. It would make, you know, arguing a lot easier, but. No, but that, that takes away the beauty of arguing. It does, but a lot of people don't like the way that I argue, i.e. that I'm right. So, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a problem. It's it is a problem because you're wrong, but that's that's something completely different. Um, <laughs> goodness gracious, we kind of we, we ran the gambit of uh, of everything. We kind of started out talking about Madonna and then all of a sudden we're down into uh, Portland and then talking about uh, their cup situa- situation, whether or not who had the best cup and what what cup is weighted how and. Uh, and here we are, uh, finally just kind of, uh, grasping at straws, looking at Portland's roster real fast. And I'll bring it back to this real fast. Do you think that, w- cause if you look out there on the, uh, on the articles about players being out of contract, those hitting free agency, Will Johnson widely assumed, um, that he would be leaving, um, and departing the, the team. Do you think it's possible that Portland holds on to him? I, I don't know. I mean, and, and I here's, think here, here's my, the reason why I ask I, with the influx of cash that is coming teams are about to MLS teams in general are about to be the, the deepest that they've ever been. And I think that having a player like Will Johnson and having a player like, you know, uh, the Timbers carried Max Rudy all season um, Marco Papa's probably going to end up back in Seattle. Having these guys on their you think bench, so? He's in the he's in the reentry draft. He is in the reentry draft right now. I think that he'll end up re- resigning. I think that's kind of the current rumor in Seattle. I don't know if that's necessarily <clears throat> what's going to happen. Excuse me, but uh, I I think that there's there's a lot of players. Uh, Justin Matt probably if he goes and signs a Sporting, for instance, that are going to be luxury players. It's it, We're going to start transitioning uh, league-wide. When you start having an influx of money, you're going to start seeing players that you that are legitimately going to battle for minutes, and, and it's going to be a battle. The, there's not going to be a clear-cut starter sometimes, and that's going to be something new in MLS. Uh, beforehand, it was, it was more about uh, having injuries and having you know uh, guys that necessarily weren't fit and ready to go. And now we're going to have competitions. I, I, I feel like, and I feel like Will Johnson's kind of an example or could be an example. Uh, I personally think that he's probably kept because he's, um, he's got value. And I think that 
Portland sees that and is going to try to leverage him uh, in a trade here within probably, I would guess, within the next uh, few weeks. But, uh, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to, to just at least uh, kind of wonder and guess and say, you know, is this is this league going to get deeper and is this why Portland's holding on to him? What was his salary versus the Rudy's? I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I actually think that Will Johnson was making more than a Rudy. Rudy was only making 200000 Then I disagree with with letting Rudy go. I don't – I mean, I think that's a much more valuable bench player, luxury player. And I think we saw his value as a sub time and time again. I, I would much rather have, have them than, than Will Johnson. Um, I'm – I just don't see what Will Johnson fits in that system. Uh, and sure, he's got value, like you were saying, um, perhaps. But does Rudy not have huge trade value? I well, think actually, that, that, that's exactly what I was going to ask. I was going to say, if you hold on to Will Johnson because you're going to trade him because he has value, um, wouldn't you do that same thing for Rudy? I mean, Rudy's probably a starter on at least four or five other teams. Um you know, at, at the very least, and if not, he, he's a valuable player to, to more than half the league. You can't flip him. Uh, instead, you're letting him go to the reentry draft for nothing. And, and that just seems uh, that's it's just surprising. Just surprising is all. So, yeah, it's I mean, maybe what happened is they got a little too drunk last night partying and then they're just like, oh, crap, the deadline. Rudy, you're making too much money. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Yell at him out up. the back of the Yeah, day. they woke up the next morning with the hangover. They looked down. We did we cut a Rudy? <laughs> like what? Yeah. <laughs> what? I don't know. I, I can't give you a window into what Portland was thinking there. Yeah, I, I, I'm not entirely certain either. Uh, I know that there are some people that, that felt that he was a luxury player, that he was probably not the best uh, player, and that he made too much for what he did. Um, I disagree with that. I think I, 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 I feel safe in uh, speaking for you and saying that you don't think that way either. But, he needed um, more minutes. Like, it's not his fault he got paid what he was worth. It's, well, it, it's Portland's it, I, fault for not playing him the time that he should have been played. Because well, I think that the idea, and I had a discussion with uh, with a couple different people about him, it was that his movement was bad. Um, he didn't make the runs that he should have as a striker. He uh, he made poor decisions with the ball. Um, you know, I don't I don't necessarily uh, disagree with that because I don't have anything that necessarily says, you know, they can determine his decision making. I think that that's something you have to get pretty granular with with the data. And that's something that we don't really have. But that being said, I think that it's very apparent that he understands his positioning. Uh, he gets a high number of um, shots created inside the 18 yard box and he finishes a really high number of them off. And that's not just a single season outlier. Uh, that is something that he's done consistently. So I believe that he's probably he's got to go to Chicago or Philly or to Colorado. One of one of those top three teams. Um, he He's worth the bona fide guaranteed offer, which is, I think, 10 percent or 5 percent of his contract from last year. Um, so, you know, uh, that's that's my opinion. That's my two bits. And that'll get you a shave and a haircut. I mean, shaving's pretty easy to do yourself. 
So if you we want to talk I, cat I, I management. You know what? I had a shave. Um, I actually went to a barber. I, I had a beard going on right before uh, uh, before drill, and I'm, I'm in the air guard. So you know, once a month, I gotta gotta get clean shaven and everything, put on the uniform again. And uh, I went to uh, went to a barber, and they uh, they did the straight razor and the hot uh, shave and everything. It, it was complete luxury. Uh, not I, I get a haircut like once once a month, um, and uh, so I kind of splurged. And it was awesome. It was. I, I highly recommend it for uh, for those that uh, have to put away their beards every once in a while. It's it's nice to have you know a straight razor on your face. Interesting. You, I would freak out. I would freak out that I'm gonna sneeze and, like in my life. See, I I didn't even think about it. I just like took a deep breath and I just uh, and just kind of like enjoyed the moment. They put like a hot wrap on your on like on the top of your face as they're shaving and everything, and it it was awesome. Like, yeah. <laughs> that does sound nice. It, yeah. So I mean, I I don't go and do massages or anything, but that that that's that's what i would call you know good good relaxation so all right uh do you have anything else for the good of the order are we done we are done with this drivel uh i i do want to ask you as, as a seattle fan thoughts on portland making it to i mean winning the cup before seattle and how do you see this affecting the rivalry because it seemed like seattle had their sights turned on LA as like the big, like the front office, like we wanted to surpass LA, but you know, and they were kind of overlooking Portland. Portland ends up beating them to the cup. Do you think this kind of changes how the front office is going to view Portland now? I mean, no, uh, Portland's Portland. I mean, they're a big deal when it comes to Portland and Seattle, it's always going to be a big deal. Um, I kind of had a, I had a moment of like kind of panic on my drive home tonight, actually. Um, like I take a long, long, uh, out of the way, uh, drive home from uh, Bellevue down to Tacoma, get tired of all the traffic. So I just take all these long out of the way roads. And, uh, I was listening to, uh, listen to one podcast and they were talking about, um, Portland forever will always hold the MLS cup winning it first over Seattle. Yeah. And that's forever. Yeah, I know and, and, exactly. And, it is forever. And, and all of a sudden that, that kid from Sandlot just kind of echoed in my mind, you know, forever. And it just kind of, that, that was kind of the first time that I ever really thought about it. But to be perfectly honest, um, my, my ideas are, are unique. So, and, and I'll just say, it probably doesn't represent the rest of the fan base, but I'll say I, I feel Seattle competes only with Seattle. And I know that sounds really stupid and kind of childish uh, to a degree. Um, but this off season, this off season is to get this team better and to make it better than it is next or than this past year and to win more games and to win a championship. It's not so that it can win or win more games in Portland. I don't care about winning more games in Portland because I want to win more games than everybody. And the only way I, I know to do that is to make, you know, for the Seattle team to get better than what they were last year. And, and so, I mean, there are going to be a time 
that you probably have to come to a point to where you're going to have to say next year is going to be worse than this past year. And that's okay because it gives us an opportunity to get better in the future. Um, there are teams that just, uh, and I'm feeling for an example, but there are teams that are quote enter into rebuilding mode and you see it in baseball all the time. 2013 LA. What's that? 2013 LA. Yeah. 2013 LA really, built the foundations for 2014 LA, which was a spectacular team. Right, but 2013 exactly. LA was very incomplete. Right, and they had to take a step back from 2012. But they learned. But but if you look at it in the timeline, they went from being the counterattacking 2012 team to starting the transition to becoming, well, we don't have Beckham anymore. Let's try to play this more attacking style, this more possession-oriented style. They didn't quite have the pieces for it. They didn't quite have the lineup for it. And then when 2014 rolls around, about a third of the way through, they get everything right. And then from then on, you know, game on. Right. And, you know, um, I, I just feel like S- Seattle is, you know, both Drew and Maddie are, are huge Portland fans. And, and I'm happy for them. I really, I truly am. I mean, they, they've they've gone through some some struggles as far as their franchise is. So, I mean, to be able to go from, you know, not in the playoffs, you know, September to winning the cup, you know, December, that's, that's gotta be, that's gotta be really fun. And, uh, you know, I've never experienced any of my, the teams that I've ever followed, whether it be the Mariners or whether it be the Sounders, you know, winning what I consider to be that, that ultimate prize, you know? Yeah. Uh, I just argued that, you know, I think that they're all kind of, all the cups are somewhat equal. And I think winning the shield was probably the, one of the greatest experiences for me. Um, but I wasn't there. And so that kind of takes away some of it. I think uh, Drew being able to be at MLS cup and see his team win it and hoist it was is a unique uh, experience that, you know, um, that I'm happy that he got to, he got to experience. Sounds See, this was stu- the more the catharsis I was hoping for when I asked you. And now I feel bad for you. I'm a big Seattle hater, but I'm now feel really bad. You've never experienced a championship. That's, you know, I've experienced so many. It's and see, and, bad. But, but see, like for, for my perspective, I'm not a Seahawks fan. So, you know, I, I didn't, they won a Super Bowl, big deal, whatever. You know, all my teams have been perpetually, you know, really close. I, I look at like be growing up and being a Seattle Mariners fan to where they're constantly really good. In fact, you know, 2001 Mariners, they won the most games in baseball history. Ever. But yeah, you know, but couldn't. No one, no one remembers. But it doesn't. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. It got erased uh, two years, three years later. Somebody had one more or two more wins than them. And, you know, they didn't win the World Series anyway. So it's kind of like the same thing with the Sounders. They won the Supporter Shield, um, you know, last year. But that's probably going to be forgotten. It, it's kind of sad in a way. Uh, but, you know, again, I don't measure myself. I don't measure my teams up against other teams because you, other teams are going to have ups and downs just like what we have. And I hope that the Sounders will have a really good team next year, specifically because I bought season tickets and I'd really hate to see a lot of losing games because that sucks. It feels like a waste of money. I'll get really angry. Well, well um, I'll pass on the word to the galaxy that hopefully they can score a couple goals and you'll get at least one refunded. 
Oh, <laughs> touche, touche. That was oh, that might have been one of your most clever uh, quips on this. Uh, that was <laughs> that was pretty good. Okay, um, yeah. Follow us, uh, Harrison underscore Crow on Twitter. Sean Stefan on Twitter. Um, <clears throat> Analysis evolved is our Twitter handle. Uh, yeah, uh, Sean, say goodbye. Goodbye. I've had a great time on the podcast this year. Great time on the blog this year, and uh, hope uh, and keep keep doing this. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna definitely uh, continue to follow it up. Uh, next next uh, podcast might be a little bit unique, a little bit different, but stick with us. We're a bunch of nerds, and that's okay. Um, Federico Iguain, you guys have a, a great year, and good luck to your teams in the hot stove league. Adios. Shut your face, high school jerks. We're about to show you how this works. Are we cool? Laser beams. We're about to awesome all your dreams. And you'll say, what are you, some kind of computer? And we'll say, a cyborg pimp from the future. And I'm going deaf for cheesy. Make my heart be go, I queen. <laughs>